I want to talk just a second about Tiffany here and how heroic she was through this whole process. This was unimaginable. Uh, I can't imagine being a mother of six babies and uh, a stay-at-home mom and dependent upon an entrepreneur who's now got himself in the crosshairs of the United States government. I mean, let's, let's face it. This is USA versus James Catledge. And uh, one thing Tiffany did, which I was really, really proud of her for doing, she asked me if she could meet with the attorney and, uh, and, and give him her perspective. And I said, I think that's a great idea. He's probably tired of hearing from me. I mean, I, I'm, you know, at this point have said so much, I, I'm afraid he may be growing a little deaf to my own influence. And so I thought it was a brilliant idea on her part to want to fly from San Diego to Las Vegas and speak directly to David. So we make arrangements for that trip. We fly in. Uh, we're, we're, we're in Las Vegas just for this visit. And we go in and, and quite candidly, she and I aren't discussing this on a daily basis. She's, she's got herself in somewhat of a cone of protection and not wanting to discuss anything that's negative just so she can endure this. I mean, this is just unbearable for her, as you can imagine. And so there's not like a lot of uh, battlefield updates. Uh, so some people want all the information and some people want none of the information. Tiffany's in the none category. And so quite candidly, I'm real curious as to what she's going to say to David. And so we fly in. Uh, we make the appointment, of course, in, in advance. We get to David's office. David's got this big office with couches and chairs. I mean, it's a nice big office. Looks like there's been plenty of big, important meetings in that office. And so we sit down. David's on his side of the desk. We're on the opposite side. And uh, David's very, very charming uh, person, uh, very charismatic, and makes you feel at ease right away. So he 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 makes Tiffany feel at ease. He understands the burden of this, and and normally he's just dealing with the accused, not necessarily their spouse. So I think he's in his mind wanting to you know comfort her that he's a good lawyer and that he's fighting the good fight and you know doing the job representing me, defending me. He's my advocate. So Tiffany goes into her view of the Elliots. And she knows them well enough that we've been to their home in Canada. And certainly we've been to the resort many times. I think it's at least a dozen times for her and many more for me. Uh, and she's had the kids down. She's had her parents down. Her brother works there at the resort, lives there full time. So she, she's somewhat familiar with what we're doing. And um, she, she proceeds to basically give David her view of things in that she thinks it's unrealistic that he would expect me to plead guilty to any crime because there hasn't been a crime. Now, this is her view, and this is her explanation. And, of course, she's not had all these meetings, you know, where you're, you're hearing the government's view of things and their version. She's not sat in the room listening to the FBI agents and all that. So this is just her. Frankly, her view probably matches your view, right? It's, it's the same view. What are we doing? 
And why are we entertaining discussing anything other than a complete defense of my husband? And that's really how she puts it. And she's a little adamant about this to the point where she's a little emotional, uh, as you can imagine, and she's putting it on him. And uh, David says, okay, now would you like to hear from me? And David begins to explain to her in a very gentle way. I was glad he was doing this gently. He's not always gentle with me, but he was respectful of her. And I was glad about this. And he said, uh, Ms. Catledge, I just need you to know that the world we're in now is not as simplistic as, as, as you've expressed it. It's not as black and white. It's not as guilty and innocent. It's not as clear as you would like it to be. I wish it were. My job would be a lot easier and I'd probably be paid a lot less. But the complex world we're in now is the government has a theory and we could challenge that theory. We could fight that theory. We could take that theory to trial. Or we can actually try to compromise on something that we can agree that your husband can live with, that he has done, or is willing to say he's done to get us to a place where we can move forward with our lives. Now, this sounds crazy, I know. And to her, it's absolutely unacceptable. And so she tells him that. And, and he ends it with, and we're in there a couple hours, he ends it with, we're going to agree to disagree. And I'm going to continue to defend your husband. I'm going to continue to get from your husband everything I need to do to defend him properly. And we're going to take this thing to the best possible conclusion for your family. And so with tears in her eyes, uh, we get up and walk out. And of course, she has somewhat of a negative impression of David. And I've got to tell you, my wife is without guile. She, she is a gentle soul. She is above reproach, complete integrity, highest character of any woman I know, okay? And Tiffany Catledge is a high character woman. Now, her, her tolerance for this type of deep activity is not very high. Her tolerance for the insanity that that of the road I was on was not very high. Her impatience with that road <laughs> is understood. But her, her character, her, 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 her ability to be a mother to our kids, I will forever, forever be grateful to that woman for the incredible love, compassion, caretaking, and preservation of our children's self-esteem and mindset in a very uncertain time. In a time where I was really, really in a battle, a war. And so I, I want you to know that as much as we're together in our desire to have this thing in properly, we are facing it differently. We're facing the pain and suffering differently. I think she's suffering more. Truthfully, I think she still suffers more. I think she suffered more. I think her wounds are intense. I, I had the benefit of fighting the battle every day. 
I had the benefit of reading and, and, and seeing and finding and, you know, all of the incremental battle plans. I had the benefit of being focused in there while she had the, the harder job of managing the life of our family. So I just have total respect for Tiffany here. I'll tell you about an experience in the middle of this that uh, was really new to me. I uh, felt like I'd had some business experience, but I'm in new territory here with this criminal stuff. And so we've, we've got the global settlement. We've, we've agreed on terms. We've, uh, we, we've agreed to move from our family home, and we've agreed to move down the street and lease a home, which turns out to be more difficult than you would think, because when you're under investigation, there's been some news released about you. Obviously, the landlord, when you're going to rent his home or her home, they're going to, they're going to do a little research, and they're going to find this stuff. They're going to do I want to lease to somebody who's been accused of something inappropriate. And so I end up having to lease a place and prepay a year in advance on, on a house lease. And as it turns out, I had to do that several years in a row because no one's going to go month to month when, when they don't really, number one, trust that these accusations, you know, they just think they're true. And they're not sure what your financial situation is. And they're pretty sure it's bleak and running out fast. And so we end up being kind of what seemed like a smart transition to, number one, help these people who are suing you, who, who do need money. Let's, let's give them what we have. Let's save enough to pay our bills so that our family, you know, is not homeless. And our kids don't have to feel that crazy craziness of, you know, I've tried my best to make it smooth for my kids. I just don't want them to feel this, you know, my instincts are to protect, of course, like yours would be. And so anyway, we end up leasing the house for the next few years. And then that lease, we just can't afford to keep that house anymore. Uh, it's just too expensive. So we have to find a smaller house. And then we end up doing that a few more times. So I'll, I'll get through it. Um, but my, my attorney says that the government would like to have a discussion with us about uh, cooperation, I think is the way they put it. And so they want to have a phone call. Now, cooperation in my mind means kind of what I just did for 14 hours at the federal building with the FBI agents. I, I felt like that was like, I, I don't have anything more to say. Uh, I'm not changing the story. That's the story. So I don't know, you know, what we would be doing other than rehashing what we did. I said, but I if they're willing to get on the phone, I'm happy to hear what they've got to say. Let's do it. And so we get on a phone call, and this is what they call a plea offer. And I, I've never, you know, been involved in these type of discussions before and really never had a discussion with somebody who's had these type of discussions before. And so here's who's on the phone. Uh, the three lawyers that work for me on the criminal side, and then I always try to get Monty there if he'll join us because I just trust his judgment, you know. I always end up calling him after and having a kind of a debrief. And uh, I'm just always worried, you know, that that I'm getting dealt, that I'm getting, you know, that I'm just, you know, a product that's getting dealt. And I don't, I want this to go properly. So we get on the phone and, and uh, David has, you know, the discussion. They let him know I'm on the phone and 
of course, they're not talking to me. They're talking to each other. So we've got the prosecutor on the phone. I think we've got the two agents on the phone, and they're quiet. They're not speaking. Prosecutor's doing the talking. And they let my attorney know they would like me to cooperate, which I thought I was already doing that. But that means something different in a criminal setting. Cooperation means they take the charges they would like to charge you with. They haven't charged me yet. They take charges they'd like to charge me with, and then they... They identify what the sentencing guidelines are for those charges, and then they give me a discount on those charges, or less time is assigned to me on those charges for cooperation. And the technical term is 5K1 departure from the guidelines. So 5K1 departure means they depart from the standard sentencing that they'd like to give me. And so all of this is, you know, so abstract in, in concept for me and we're on the phone and, and they, they bottom line, it is they'd like to give me 11 years in federal prison. (laughs) I swear to you, this is what they say. And that's like some huge bonus to me. It's like something I should be celebrating and blowing a horn and throwing confetti around. I mean, it's like this enormous concession. You could feel by the tone of it, you know, and, I'm, it's so far. It's so crazy. I can't even believe we're having this discussion. And they have not charged me yet. They're telling me what they'd like to charge me with, and they'd like to have me cooperate against Derek Elliott. And and I kind of felt that's what I was already doing. I didn't realize you had to plead guilty to some crime in order to cooperate and get this, you know, glorious discount. Uh, I'm learning that on this phone call. Well, I just listen. No, I'm not talking. I just listen. I hang up the phone. They call me. My attorneys call me. And I remember saying, David, I have no idea what that was about. I don't, I don't know if you're conditioning me. I don't know if you're tenderizing me. I, 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 that is so outlandish what I just said. There. I'm offended at the core. And then I said this, how much time is the right amount of time for an innocent man, for somebody who did not commit a crime, how much time? And that's when I begin to get a lecture from my lawyer. He begins to explain to me, James, you have to think about it. You need to tell me what you've done wrong, what you think you've done wrong, what you think you could say you've done wrong. I want you to consider the idea that these guys are serious. They're going to prosecute you. They want to prosecute you. They want to charge you. And they'd like to cooperate with you and give you a discount on the sentencing guidelines. And I know this was their opening offer, but it it probably is not going to get any better than this. It probably goes up from here. Up from 11 years. Anyway, I'm laughing about it now because we're way past all this. But I got to tell you, this is like tears flowing down my face. When I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, how is this happening? How is this possible? Um, and I just feel a little teamed up on, too. I, I feel like my own advocate, you know. It's just disappointing. And, and I feel like I'm on my own in this. I feel, I feel alone, very alone. Because I'm protecting Tiffany from the, from the harsh blows of this. I'm only sharing with her stuff that, that she, and she's asked me to only share stuff with her that's, somewhat positive or progress, when will it end? You know, that's kind of the line that she continues to 
here with me? When will this be over? When will this be over? And of course, I don't know. I don't know when this will be over. So I I tell David, we're going to trial. You can let those bastards know. That's the way I put it. You can let those bastards know we're going to trial. I have all the facts. I've got the Elliott accounting team on my side. I've got the verified facts from the civil lawsuit. I, I, I said, there there is not an email out there that I'm concerned about. There's not a BlackBerry message I'm concerned about. There is no smoking gun anywhere that could ever come up and disrupt what I shared with him for 14 hours. I am confident that I'm in the right here. And so I, I don't have any concern at all about uh, going to trial. And David says, uh, that that's really an outlandish idea. He says, you understand the percentage of cases that that succeed uh, on the part of U.S. citizens who are defendants in a criminal trial. He says, they haven't even charged you yet. They're just trying to figure out where you stand and can they work with you to go prosecute the Elliots. That's what this is about. We're way early days on this. I said, well, it it goes back for me, real simple, simple equation. What's the right amount of time for an innocent man to sign up for? Just, Just sign me up for that. And of course, you know, the answer is none, none, no time. And so we should kind of at loggerheads, you know, we're kind of at an impasse. And I'm sad. I'm really sad about this. This this seems like it's gotten out of hand again. And uh, it, it's it's tough. I share it with my mother. She can't believe it. And so I just agree to fight on. And I, I just agree to move forward. And so that that that's where we sit. Meanwhile, uh, the investigation continues. It continues to roll on. It lasts one year after my meeting. It lasts two years after my meeting. And then it gets to be in 2012. I want to insert here, uh, after that first plea offer, how it went down. The day it happened, the feelings I was having, where I was. I think this will give you some insight into how it actually feels to uh to uh listen to the idea that something you think you've done properly has been misconstrued it's been misunderstood it's been twisted like a pretzel and now it seems like uh it's that gordian knot that you can't quite figure out how to untie and so i'm going to put you in the car with me as i take this first conference call and listen to my attorneys and the prosecutor and the FBI discuss my fate. A federal investigation typically takes a long time, unless it's like real obvious what's going on. If, it's, if there's any ambiguity or confusing elements to it, like, like in a business case, a white collar case, then there's some complexity to it. So the FBI is real careful about making sure they understand everything. They do lots of interviews. Typically, they work on the perimeter of the target and work their way inward, getting closer and closer with associates, interviews being up to the inner circle of the target. And that, that, that typically yields for them a pretty accurate reflection of the target and the activity that's in question. Well, the investigation, be, in my case, began after the federal judge in Miami dismissed the case and recommended that the Department of Justice investigate both parties and get to the bottom 
of what's going on. Uh, the, the judge wasn't making an accusation. He just felt strongly that it should be investigated. And, and frankly, I agree. Uh, and, and then the special master put as part of his order in his recommendation to the judge, the special master said he felt that a two-tiered, that's the way he put it, criminal enterprise was taking place. The sales organization was involved, and he felt the developer was certainly involved. That was tier one, and the sales organization was tier two. Obviously, we're the ones bringing in the money, so it's, it's hard to extract us. If you think a crime has occurred, it, it's almost hard to extract the source of the money. So you've got to get into the mindset. You got to get into the behavior. You got to get into really a lot of mind reading. And that's why these interviews and these investigations become very, very important. And so one of the strategies is to, if you've identified the target and they're represented by counsel, uh, by a law firm, you can begin to discuss with that law firm uh, offers to plead guilty. And, and in so doing, you can, you can basically get a guilty plea uh, for, for some crime that hasn't been charged yet, but will be. Uh, and, and if you could get a guilty plea in advance of an indictment, then you, you, you finish with the indictment and you, you, know, you basically get a guilty plea and the thing's wrapped up in short order. Because typically, targets are guilty. And I say typically, it's probably in the 80 percentile. It's almost tough to know an exact percentage. But if someone's been accused of something, the government's, you know, probably on to something. And, and they, they panel a grand jury and then the prosecution presents their facts and the grand jury says, yeah, there's enough to proceed to a regular trial here. And that's really what a grand jury indictment is all about. And so I want to share with you an intimate look into the very first plea offer I got. So my attorneys let me know that they've arranged for a phone call with the prosecutor and the agents, and they'd like me to be on that call. And, uh, and what their suggestion is, is they would call me, and then together on a connected line, we would call the, the FBI prosecutor's office in San Francisco. These are the folks who have been assigned my case. And boy, you, you, you just can't start your day knowing this is on the calendar and not be nervous, right? So t- today's calendar, again, I'm running kids around. I'm taking, it's, it's the summertime, and I'm taking kids to all sorts of athletic events. And Alex is a standout football player. Uh, he's my oldest. And so we've got him strength training with uh, a very good friend of ours, Michael, who is a really good strength trainer. He works with the San Diego chart at the time it was the San Diego chargers. He's working with lots of professional athletes, preparing them in the off season to be stronger the next season. And so we go to church with Michael and, uh, we, we've got Michael training Alex to be, you know, strong and, and we've got him in off season training. So I get Alex in the car. To, we've got a routine the, the, the gym that we go to is a specialized gym for Alex in this special training he's getting from Michael. And typically it's one hour. And so I usually sit in the car and make phone calls and, uh, and do email for that hour instead of traipsing back and forth from the house because it's probably a 20-minute ride to the, to the gym. The, the gym is on the Pacific Coast Highway in San Diego. 
And so I usually have a nice view of the ocean while I'm sitting there waiting for my son and, and making these phone calls. Well, today's phone call is different. Today we're going to make this, this nervous call to the prosecutor, and they're going to basically tell us what they see, what their interviews have yielded, you know, in a cryptic way. They're going to tell us a little bit about what they think has gone on here, their version of events. And then they're going to tell us what they, you know, basically what they'd like to charge and uh, what type of plea offer they would recommend. And so this is almost like a, a first, if it's a negotiation, it, it, it's, a, it's a first chance at hearing how the other side feels. And so I'm very, this is my life, right? It's my, my fate, my, my future is, is in this. Go. So Alex doesn't know any of this is going on. He hops out of the car, heads into his workout. I've got it timed so that this call fits with Alex not being in the car. So I need the call to kind of begin and end within that hour. So I, I make this call. I can, I can feel the, exactly how I felt when I made the call. Uh, we got all three of my lawyers on the call, Richie, David, and Robert. I'm not going to give you the name of the agents and the prosecutor, uh, but I just out of respect for those men, I'm just not going to do that. But I know their names, and they certainly know my name. And they're on the other end, and they're all there. They're all in this conference room there in San Francisco. And, of course, remember, we've had the, the meeting with them. We've, we've had the 14-hour meeting where I gave them everything I knew, and, and I kind of forced that meeting to happen. And So they, they kind of know me at this point. And this is really my first listen into my side of things they've already heard. They've done their interviews. And so I'm hoping that this is maybe this is going to go away type phone call. But of course, David has conditioned me to know that that probably is not the case. These things don't go away. These things just don't go away. So we dial. Everybody says, hello, hello. If you can tell everybody's guarded. It's like playing poker and no, nobody's making any facial expressions. And, and, uh, David says, well, guys, uh, you know, James is uh, strong, feeling strong about his innocence and his ability to defend himself at a trial and, and whatever your indictment is going to be, he, he, you know, we feel and he feels strongly we can defend this. So what are you coming up with and kind of where are you guys? And, and the prosecutor makes plain. He says, what I'm going to tell you is what we think we can convict on. It's what we think we can get a grand jury to to indict on, and, and I'm pretty sure we can get a jury to uh, convict Mr. Catledge of mail fraud and conspiracy to commit mail fraud. And, uh, of course, those are really broad areas of the law. Again, we know the mail has to be used. There has to have been fraud where something in the mail turned out to not be accurate, and then my uh, involvement in what would go in the mail to these people? All right. So we, we, we know those things are all in place. We know that the hotel didn't get finished at Wondolio. And we know that people got sold on a, a condominium that would one day finish, right? Uh, naturally, uh, we, we, we all hope that. And then, and then we know that I let the Elliots know that when you're mailing the quarterly checks to the clients, please include construction updates. And so I was instrumental in what should be included in those mailings. Now, I didn't do the construction updates, nor would I know the construction updates, but I certainly 
recommended that they do construction updates and uh, keep the clients informed and excited about what was coming. So they, they felt like they could get a conviction on mail fraud and conspiracy to commit mail fraud. Now, each count of mail fraud is a 20-year sentence. That's the maximum. And they felt like uh, they, they had uh, in their possession and in interviews pieces of mail and witnesses that received pieces of mail that represented this. So they felt like they could get three counts of mail fraud and they felt like they could get uh, one count of conspiracy to commit mail fraud, which is the Elliots and I discussing what should be in that mail. That's a conspiracy. We, we're discussing you know, a plan, basically, what would be in that mail. Uh, so the, the, it's it's real straightforward. And they said, and what we'd like to do is save Mr. Catledge a lot of time and more legal expenses. And, and we know he's tried to be helpful here, but we think he knows he's guilty. And, and, and by the way, what we're about to tell you is the best it's going to get. This is this is the best. It's going to go up from here because the more money we spend, the more resources we spend, the more interviews we get, we think it's it's only going to get worse. But at this point, at this early stage, if uh, Mr. Catledge wants to end the madness, we're willing to, to agree to let him do 11 years in federal prison for pleading guilty to uh, these counts of mail fraud and conspiracy. And of course, I'm not speaking. I'm just listening. And by the way, uh, I'll tell you, I had a, a, tears are flowing down my face. So I sit in my car and my son is in the gym and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is unbelievable. This is, are you kidding me? And uh, David, of course, has told me not to speak. And so I'm not going to speak. And David says, we'll get back to you. He doesn't respond to it at all. He says, we'll get back to you. They then call me right back and say, James, that didn't sound good. I didn't like the way that went. Uh, it may be the best they do. It may be. These things do typically go up. He, he lets me know that typically the more work they put in, the, the worse the offers get. And I said, David, that, 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 was, that was just not acceptable. Just completely ridiculous. It's like they don't even understand what happened. I don't know what the interviews they're doing or what it says in these interviews. But if, 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 if they're saying people lost money, that's true. But what, what about the idea that I didn't have anything to do with them losing money? And, and David, you know, makes it clear that, James, you have to look at this thing realistically. If people lost money and you made money, your company made money, your salespeople made money, then a jury's just going to easily connect the dots that if they lost and you won, you probably are responsible. And it, it, you and I know that this is probably a civil case where you sue somebody for a bad business deal, or it turns, it turns out to be a bad business deal, and, and let, a, let this be a money issue. But th th this has turned criminal because the federal judge pushed it into this arena. And so they're just going to, you know, push this thing until they till they get their conviction that's that's where we're going so i i said well i'm not i'm not accepting that that that's that's irrational I, i'm not doing that and so we hung up the phone and, and this is early man this is early on and basically i would say we're a year from the time i met with them in san francisco and gave them 14 hours of my testimony all recorded and taped trying to give them all the clues just everything i knew and how I felt things went. 
And uh, I just, you know, I'm just wondering what is going on here. I'm just trying to figure out, is there a path out of this? I mean, it just doesn't seem like there's a way out. Then my son gets in the car and it's, I'm not emotional when he gets in the car, but I'm not speaking. Normally I'm pretty high energy and ask him about his workout and everything. And I'm just silent. I don't, I, I'm having trouble shifting my mind and the conversation to, to him. And, uh, and I think Alex asked me, he's a very sensitive young man. He, he's got really unique set of skills when it comes to spiritual sensitivity. He says, is everything okay, dad? And I said, well, I'm just working on this legal stuff. And I just had a phone call that did, you know, didn't go like I'd hoped. And, and I left it at that. I never dragged them into this. I never let them know the daunting nature of this. I never wanted them to think their dad was ever at risk of going away or leaving them or anything like that. But that was, that was the first plea offer that came through. And there was many more, but that was plea offer number one. This is Inside Out with James Catledge.